Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Best Damn Wrestling Podcast with your hosts, Keaton and Sherrod. And we are bringing you another exciting episode today of our Dark Side of the Ring series. Keaton, you excited, man? Oh, yeah, I am, because this is a great documentary, and the last episode did pretty good. Still getting views. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. I'm very surprised. Um, I, I gotta give a lot of thanks to anybody who listened, and I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed this one just as much as we enjoy bringing these to you. This has kind of become like my favorite thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm into the series. So I, yeah, no, definitely, and going back and watching them, uh, or whatnot, I mean, it, it's just been really exciting, and I'm excited about season two, you know, yeah. whenever that comes out. I can't well, wait to see that. stories that they pull out. Exactly. Like you would think they couldn't top this and it's so good, but uh um yeah. going into the the main reason for the show, we're doing the dark side of the ring episode on Bruiser Brody. And I think out of all of the shows that they did, this was by far my favorite. I and, and it's crazy and it's it's like a it's a bittersweet moment for me. At least because it's one of the greatest wrestling stories ever told, but like the the mystery and 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 everything that surrounds it and what the fuck happened. But but it sucks for me because we weren't born doing so. This is all secondhand information for for us. Like obviously, I'm pretty sure, like me, you've heard different uh, opinions and podcasts and things on this particular subject. But to actually experience it and be alive when it happened, we weren't there. So we don't, you're not, we're not familiar with Bruiser Brody per se like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but even still, just being able to watch this episode and learn what I learned, I mean, I I just was blown away. Like, it it, it clearly was by far my favorite episode. Right. Um. It, it it was definitely one that grabbed my attention. Uh, I like all the episodes. I don't really have a favorite because it's just I'm sucked into them. I can't watch anything else when I'm oh, when I'm watching ass. Dark Side of the Ring. No, no, I'm just saying it's it's, it's beautiful. It's it's an amazing thing. It really is. I won't lie. It it really is. It, it it's great. I, I mean, but I think if I had to rank them because there are six, this would probably be. I, I gotta say, this is probably number one for me. This is the one that that made me uh, in the put. It put me in the mind state of more of like, damn, this is a real fucked up story. This is like probably the most fucked up story out of the series, right? Just with all the circumstances, the cover ups, just man, the evil involved in this shit. It's, it's a lot. Let 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 let's jump in it, man. Hell, um, this one was uh was narrated by Mick Foley and not Dutch Mantel, but Dutch Mantel was still Dutch Mantel was actually there when this happened, so he was on the side of telling the story this time as opposed to just narrating, mm-hmm. you know, which I thought was cool. And uh, they had Tony Atlas and also uh. I believe that was pretty much it. oh uh, Abdullah the Butcher 
which I'm not familiar with, but uh, I kind of recognize the name. And I believe that was really it. It was kind of like three guys telling him the story, right? I, his wife obviously made an appearance for his Brody's and wife. And his son. Uh, yeah. yeah, and his son, you know, which was which was cool. But that's about it. They didn't have as many hands in the pot as they did on the uh, Montreal Screwjob that we covered a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But those three people had so much, as far as the wrestlers, had so much detail and and insight, especially Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel, who were in the room at the time of this happening, that it was like, you know, damn. I, I mean, was right. there ever any doubt in your mind that you doubted anything they said during that co- the course of that episode? Uh, I'll tell you the only doubt I had from anyone speaking during the episode was Abdullah the Butcher. I felt like he was still, in a way, trying to deflect from certain things. Um, I, I just felt like, you know, Tony, Atl- Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel, you could tell they were like, we don't give a damn. We we know what happened. We're telling our story. We're not scared of them people. And on top of that, they actually uh, missed the opportunity to get even more of the story because Savio Vega was there and Savio Vega has a huge chunk of the story that ties right into Dutch and Tony Atlas' story. Us? Yes, Savio Vega has. Uh, he he did an interview with Jim Cornette, and he broke down like everything. He was also there. Matter of fact, I'm going to watch that. And now I didn't know that. Yeah. All because remember they only referenced him in the show like for thirty seconds when he told right. Tony Atlas. Hey, don't go back to the hotel room because they're looking for you. But right. I didn't know he knew all of the other shit. No, he gives you the whole story. But that's why he went and got Tony Atlas and his bag and told him, hey, man, you have to leave. Because the um, the guy, Jose, uh, was it Dallas? Gonzalez? Yeah. Yeah. Jose, yeah. Who was known as Invader, number one. He, he was basically... Telling Savio Vega, he was like, does this guy want the same thing to happen to him? Like, he's talking too much. So Savio Vega is overhearing this thing. And here's another thing that Savio Vega brought up. I don't know if you want to wait till we get all the way into the story or just let this out now. Yeah, let me, let's tell Yeah, let's go, yeah. Okay, so basically, those were the people that were involved uh, as far as the telling of the story. So... Um, basically, the killing of Bruiser Brody happened, I believe, July 16th, 1988. Yeah. And, um, before they even get into the killing, I thought it was so cool how they gave you, like, an overview of Bruiser Brody. Yeah. They were, like, there was this six-foot, seven, 290, 300-pound guy who comes out to the ring, and people ran from this guy. You know? like A fucking monster. Dude, bitch, the chain swinging, and they were like, he used to hit people with the chain. I don't know if I could have been a fan during that time period. Like, and it was nuts. People legitimately ran from this dude. And, yeah. And he, he from, from what I understood from the episode, he would he would hurt people, man. Like, he was, a, he was a star, but he was a star because he was a monster. And he was like this madman. Now, after I initially seen that episode, the very first time, because I've watched it like three times, 
Um, I went and actually looked for promos from Bruiser Brody. And dude, even his promos were just like nuts. He he's like a, a he's like a psychopath, and it's like Tony Atlas yeah. thinks said best when he was like it was like a tornado would hit your house when he come out. He was just this freak of nature that very intense guy. Uh, what? Very intense guy. Yeah, no, literally, like he did a fucking promo that is on YouTube, uh, uh, uh leading into a match with uh, Abdullah the Butcher. Where the only thing he said was "come butcher." That's all he said. But I was like freaked out when I fucking watched it. But I couldn't look away. I'm like, this dude is for real. He didn't say anything else. Right. That's it. He screamed well, that for t- like five minutes, and then the promo goes off. And well, I, they, you know, huh? Well, shit. His his matches in Japan. I mean, when you see those like death matches, those. Those motherfuckers there, they were something serious. Like those were like Cactus Jack type style matches with, you know, just with the the whole explosions, the the uh, barbed wire, just everything. It was just crazy. Right. No, I I know, man. Even the fork that they used and shit. Cause did you see Abdullah the butcher's head? Oh yeah. That comes from years of blading yeah. and blading the wrong way. <laughs> right, exactly. And and I mean just okay, so they, they discussed that leading into the into the episode. And they also talk about the history of wrestling in Puerto Rico. Now, for any listeners and anybody that doesn't know, you can actually Puerto Rico and wrestling in Puerto Rico when it was hot is like such an interesting subject. Like before all, because before all of this happened with Bruiser Brody, that used to be a pretty high spot, from what I understand right. from the things I've listened to with uh, Jim Cornette, Dutch Mantel, and people like that. That used to be a hotbed for good wrestling, mm-hmm. but it was so extreme. Remember, they talk about in the episode, it, it was like a bloodbath. Like people would throw shit at, at, at the wrestlers and shit like that, but there was always so much violence in Puerto Rican wrestling as far as like blood and. Did you see that one uh fucking uh, uh one guy with a blood was just coming out of his mouth like a goddamn fountain? Yeah. I was like, oh my god. Like it, it, it. But Puerto Rico has such a history, and they explained the history of Puerto Rico wrestling and how Bruiser Brody factored into that and stuff going into what led up to the like that that particular day when he was uh when he was stabbed. So they uh they cover all of that. They talk about, you know, his backstory and how he played football professionally and things like this. So they finally just that's the first maybe fifteen minutes or so of the of the episode. Well, they finally get into the actual incident that occurred that day itself and all the lead up to it. And I thought it was so interesting how well let me back backtrack a little bit. They talked about the the history between Jose Gonzalez, also known as Invader Number One, mm-hmm. and Bruce, and how uh, at one point they were grooming Jose Gonzalez to be a top guy or the top guy in Puerto in Rico. Puerto Rico, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bruiser Brody basically went into this match for whatever reason, and everybody said it was because he needed to keep 
his image because at that time you were only as good as the image you were portraying and he beat the living shit out of invader number one from yeah and it started there they said because uh tony atlas said that another wrestler i can't remember his name but he was driving uh invader to the hospital because they had to take him because of the way he was just so fucked up and he said then one day i'm going to kill this man and that's kind of where the story starts at and i found it so interesting that a this guy was the booker of of that particular promotion that Brody was in in Puerto Rico, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was very interesting. And remember, Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel both said that that day in question, Jose Gonzalez was supposed to pick <coughs> up Bruiser Brody and take him to the arena. Oh, I and got it, another twist to that story from Savio Vega. Savio well, Vega. it led me to wonder if they were going to kill him before he ever got there. Well, see, that's just the thing. Savio Vega said that not only did that happen, but that Bruiser Brody had been riding with Invader all week because he said they worked from Wednesday through Sunday, and mm-hmm. they were that Bruiser Brody was riding with Jose all week, all week. So he was like, "Well, he had plenty of times to kill him. Why did he pick to kill him in the locker room?" Well, how much do you think that money issue that they talked about factored in? Because remember, oh, right before he states, uh, they were like that he was owed like twenty thousand dollars, and he told him he was gonna get his money one way or the other. I think that definitely played a part in it because, uh, I mean, it's clear that the one thing for sure we can draw in a conclusion from this is that Jose didn't like uh, Brody from the jump. He didn't like him. Uh, coming over there to Puerto Rico, whether he was trying to start a new promotion in uh, Jose's territory or b- whether it was for money. The dude had a strong well, hate for him. Well, hey, back up. Let's talk about this. Remember, there was talk that he might have bought into that promotion right, and, and, and was going to be able to make changes. And I don't know how much of that, and I'm going to ask the question here in a little bit when we get to the actual killing, I don't know how much of that factored into there being a conspiracy made or whatever the case may be, because according to Tony Atlas, Brody told him, you know, hey, there's going to be some changes. And, and I think he told him that they he was going to get rid of Jose Gonzalez. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he were, you know, because it, it, it was definitely uh, they one thing that they said, they said Bruce Brody was very smart. He knew his shit. So and he was looking yep. to to get into wrestling promotion, and what better way to do it than in Puerto Rico? Because I think the, as a matter of fact, the price wasn't even that steep. It was very affordable for him to buy right. it, and it was you know like you like you just explained a couple minutes ago. Puerto Rico was such a high destination for professional wrestling. They took it very seriously. So why not capitalize? The states down there, they they had yeah. more than you know a few stars come down, wrestle, and go back, and they right. paid well. From what I at least from what I've I've, I've understood, the, the territory was high. I will put it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. It was definitely hot, definitely hot. But okay, so they start with that. So it gets a ride. 
from Tony Atlas and Dutch Mantel to the locker room. And they say that when they get there, Jose Gonzalez is sitting with uh, Carlos Colon, who is also known as Carlito Cool's dad. And mm-hmm. uh, the other guy forgot his goddamn Primo. Name. Uh, oh, you're oh, saying the other guy that was with them? Yeah, that was there. I, I, I forgot, forgot his name, too. I yeah, but he was kind of a minority owner. He owned 10% of the company. God damn it, I can't remember his name. And they were sitting there, and, like, when they walked in. So, at that point, what happened was, uh, after everybody sat down, Dutch Mantel says he leaves the room because there's so much tension. He noticed, he said, it seems like something's going on. And they were all curious as to how the hell Jose Gonzalez was supposed to have picked up Brody, but he's sitting in the locker room. Right. Well, after a few minutes, Jose Gonzalez apparently tells Brody he needs to speak to him in the shower. Now, this is what things get hazy. I don't know, and maybe this is overkill. Did you ever ask yourself why the hell would he go in there with him, considering the fact the dude never picked him up? Well, I know for one thing that I heard from, you know, Savio Vega and then, uh, other people on the documentary, they said that wasn't exactly like a, a, a rare oh, occurrence. Yeah, yeah. For him to, because he, he would have to give everybody the finish and stuff. And then they just assumed they were talking business and stuff. So they were like, well, it's, it's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. They said what well, was out of the ordinary, how he left out the locker room and then came back in with a towel wrapped around his hand. That's what yeah, he did do that. I forgot kinda, about that. Yeah, that's, weird. that's what threw people off. That's what made people kind of pick up on it after the fact, after the incident happened. You know, they were like, well, damn, that makes it look even weird now because he had it like a towel completely wrapped around his hand. And it was like, hey, come here. I need to talk to you, you know. So it, it, it was just that's the main thing that sticks out to people. I don't think that Brody expected anything because, I mean, if you remember, um, Brody was an intimidating figure. Brody knew people were scared of him, like legit scared of him. And, Ho- and Jose Gonzalez is a small dude compared to Brody. So, of course, Brody's like, well, this dude's not going to try to fight me. He's not going to try to do it. And I thought about that. I was like, he probably figured, well, there's no fucking way he's that crazy. Right. I, 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 you have to... You have to assume that was part of it. Yeah, and I already beat your ass in the in the ring, you know. So what the, what the fuck are you gonna do? I beat your ass before. I'll beat your ass again. So I and far as I know, there was no tension that he knew of among going there. He if he did if he did have money that was supposed to be owed to him, he expected it, but he didn't expect any kind of conflict to get it, you know. Right. So it was just, he, he just didn't know. He just didn't know. And, he was and, caught off guard. And that's what I said throughout that whole episode. I would give anything to know what they discussed in that in that shower. Because remember, it wasn't that long before all of a sudden Tony Atlas said he heard a scream. And Almost like, instantly. I, yeah, I, I, out comes Brody clutching his stomach. And like he seen, uh, he jumped up, and at that time he said that uh, Jose Gonzalez was going to, he was about to cut his throat, and he pulled him back. And at that point, you know, Brody had already been stabbed twice, once in the, at the top part of the chest, according to the documentary, and then once in the abdomen. They were eight inch cuts. Those are pretty deep, goddamn cuts. Yeah. 
oh, those Puerto Ricans, they, they have big knives. They don't get the small shit. They have big knives. Well, according to Tony Atlas, remember, he was like, that when he was pulling them back, if he had been half second too late, he would have cut his throat, but he cut his he cut his ponytail off. He's like, that's how sharp the knife was. Yeah, yeah. No, that's and the thing is, Savio Vega said he was like in the restroom part. They they were in the shower part and he was in the restroom part. And he right. said when when it went down, he said the way that it went down, it had to be like soon as Brody went in the shower with him, guy just stabbed him. He's like, because the way the door is set up, you know, if someone is behind it, you can't even get out, you know. And he said when he walked out to the to the shower area after he heard the commotion, he saw Brody like pushing him back while uh, I think Carlos was holding Jose back, you know, while uh. Tony Atlas, you mean Brody? Tony, yeah, yeah, uh, and, and and that's what I wanted to get to before Car- uh, Jose uh, Gonzalez could do anything else. In runs Carlos Colon, telling him no. Now this brings me to my big question: How much do you think Carlos Colon was actually just? And we'll never know for sure. So I'll say: How much do you think supposedly slash allegedly? Carlos Colon could have maybe been involved in what the fuck was going on. A hundred fucking percent because when everybody first got to the arena, those three were sitting in the middle of the fucking locker room having a conference, and it looked suspicious. I think Dutch Mantel is the one who said that. Was that they were, all three of them were sitting in like a little circle and going over something. And then soon... As everybody got in there, they broke apart and act like everything was fine. So it, it was just weird. Yeah, but okay. So it, my question is, if that's the case, and we're going to talk about this here in a few minutes, you that's one hell of an act to be a co-conspirator and killing them. But then his wife, remember, called, her, called Brody's wife to tell her she needed to come down to Puerto Rico. Yeah, and then not only that, actually took her down to the morgue to identify the body. So, again, that's one hell of an act to put on. I mean, maybe she didn't know, and I, I would give her that, but fuck. You know, so, okay, getting back, back to the story. After after he's been stabbed, Tony Atlas wouldn't let anybody touch him. They called the fucking ambulance. Well, by this time, uh, Dutch Mantel said he had got word that Bruiser Brody had been stabbed. So they put Brody on the gurney and they get him into the ambulance. Tony Atlas goes with him to the hospital. And I thought at this point, Tony Atlas did a magnificent job of detailing what was going on and how he, Brody could have died that same day right there in the fucking waiting area in the ER if it wasn't for Tony Atlas grabbing a doctor and making him look at him and finding out how badly he was hurt. Because remember, he said Brody had been sitting there for a while, and his feet started to turn blue. So so he did a great job of detailing what was going on and what transpired at the hospital, because without him, you you never would have known that story. And I'm kind of, I got to believe everything Tony Atlas is saying, because most of this shit was backed up by Dutch Mantel. Yeah, by Dutch Mantel. So not only that... Bruiser Brody could have died in that locker room before the ambulance even got to him because they said it took 
like 40 minutes to an hour for them to even get to him. Because of the traffic and stuff, which right. is true. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, so, okay. So they, when Tony Atlas leaves Bruiser Brody, he was stable. All right. That's what, mm-hmm. that's what we were told. He was stable in yep. the documentary. So he goes back to the arena and he says that when he gets there, like everybody's acting like nothing ever happened. Matter of fact, the show goes on. They don't yeah. cancel the the event at all. He was like that when he got there. Brody's blood was still on the locker room floor from when he was initially stabbed. And then Jose Gonzalez actually left after the initial stabbing, and he came back. And yeah. Tony Allen said that when he got there, the story the cops were there and they were interviewing people and. The story was that a fan actually stabbed Bruiser Brody. Well, Tony Atlas said at that point that he said, hell no, it was this motherfucker right here, Jose Gonzalez, that stabbed him. I seen him with my own eyes stab him. He did it. And that's when the fucking chaos starts. Uh, And let me tell you something else. This is another revelation that Savio Vega said. That's why I wish he was in that documentary, but... Tony Atlas said that he thinks Savio Vega kind of turned the documentary down because he still lives in Puerto Rico. So it, it might right. be some still repercussions behind that. But Savio Vega says that, yes, Tony Atlas did talk to the cops and tell them what actually happened. But here's another thing. The cops only spoke Spanish. So Tony Atlas had to get a translator. The person who translated Tony Atlas' uh, testimony to the cops that that night was he went by the name of invader number two so he was the invader one's partner he was jose's partner and he's it's and he, the fuck i lied to you not he's translating for tony atlas he's telling the cops everything that tony atlas is saying he's probably switching up some of the words at the same time but he's hearing everything that tony is saying so obviously and then Savio Vega said that Jose is sitting there listening to it too like Jose hears it like Jose is going over the stuff with people for their matches but he hears Tony Atlas talking but and that's when he says how, does he want the same thing to happen to him well okay how could anybody think that a fan would be bold enough to stab Brody if they were running from him? That that I felt like that that should have instantly said, "Oh bullshit, nobody's that crazy." Exactly, but it was like, you know, the cops were like, "Well, all we can go on is what the entire locker room says." You know, you got a whole entire locker room of guys saying, "Oh yeah, a fan did it, a fan, a fan, a fan." Well, because Abdullah the Butcher was like when it made it across to the Hill locker room or or whatever what the fuck had happened, he was like, no, nah, that nah, bullshit. There's no fucking way. Because he was saying the same thing. Nobody would do that to Brody. But right. then, I, you know, that that's why it didn't make sense. But then, fuck. Okay, so Al, uh, Tony Atlas says he goes out to wrestle the Iron Sheik. Now, I got to believe there's some validity to this if the Iron Sheik reacted the way he did because he said that when they locked up, the Iron Sheik asked about Brody. And, you know, he talks in the documentary. He asked how he was he doing. He said, when I left him, he was stable. Now, I'm going to bring up a big point here in a minute. He was like, and he said, well, Iron Sheik thought 
it was a fan. You know, he's on the, I believe he was in the, on the other side with Abdullah the Butcher when he found out. And he was like, fuck no, it was Jose Gonzalez. Well, the second that fucking Tony Atlas said he told Iron Sheik, Iron Sheik was like, fuck him and got out the fucking, uh, fuck Jose Gonzalez and got out of the ring and never came back. And they only wrestled for like a minute. That leads me to kind of make a, and all of this is conspiracy theory and speculation at best. That leads me to believe that story seemed a lot more fucking believable if you got a guy that wasn't in the room reacting the way he reacted. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree at all. So, I don't disagree at all. That's exactly yeah, how Iron Sheik would react to something. Because I've heard, I've seen interviews where he says that exact same thing about people. So I was like, yeah, that sounds exactly like something Iron Sheik would say and do. Right. So he just got the ring and left. So, fuck, okay, well, after he comes to the back, that's when he says Savio Vega meets him with his fucking uh, bag and tells him, hey, don't go back to the hotel. So Tony Atlas had to walk the beach all night to because he was scared something was going to happen to him. Well, while this is going on, Dutch Mantel's back at the hotel, and he tells the, um, he says he tells the concierge, hey, any calls that uh, come to Bruiser Brody uh, or whatnot, forward them to me and he ends up talking to Bruiser Brody's wife and tells her she needs to get down here and you know but again everybody's under the impression that he was stable well he goes back down later on that night and or that morning early that morning it was I think he says like two o'clock I can't remember the exact time but he says in the documentary goes back down he has the concierge lady called the uh, hospital they tell him that he died now here's the biggest question I've had throughout that whole documentary Tony Atlas said that the doctors told him he needed to leave because they couldn't do anything because they were more scared of him being there because he was punching through the walls and shit to get anything done, and they'd do a better job if he was gone. He left. When he left, Bruiser Brody was stable. They sound like they had got to him in time. When he's gone, he's dead all of a sudden. He goes from stable to dead and there's no details on what the hell happened in between that amount of time that he was gone and Dutch Mantel called up there and found out he was dead. I always wondered ever since I watched the documentary why why did they leave him by himself and because right. of him leaving him by himself do you think they went back to finish the fucking job? I feel like the, uh, the Puerto Rican um, hospital didn't really care about an American anyway. I mean, and then it, you got to remember this, too. They didn't take it seriously because also they told Tony Atlas, they were like, a stabbing here in Puerto Rico is like a cold in America. So we don't take it seriously because it happens all the time. So they didn't take that seriously. That's that's the main thing that I so read. You, I was like, like there was probably foul play involved. The, 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 the I, go back and I felt like the it job. was negligence. I felt like it was negligence on the part of the the hospital, and then he didn't stand okay. a chance if, yeah, you know, for the long wait for the ambulance to even come through, you lose a lot of blood in that time with an eight-inch wound, so. Yeah, no, definitely two of them, no less. Right. Yeah, and by them not giving a damn about stabbings, because it was such a, a common occurrence in Puerto Rico, so it was just like, well, okay, well, just leave them here. Because they were going to leave them there anyway, before Tony Atlas, you know, caused the when- the ruckus, yeah. you know? So and, and 
ends up dying. And yeah. that's he would have been alive if it happened in America. He would have been alive. Oh, definitely. Uh, and, okay, so even after after all of that, they take Tony Atlas's statement. They take Dutch Mantel's statement. They tell him they'll be in touch. Tony Atlas immediately leaves Puerto Rico. Right. I think Dutch Mantel did it too. They just but left. then they say when they get back to the states, not that long after the trials had, they found Jose Gonzalez not guilty. The knife was never found. Still hasn't been to this day, from what I understand. And he basically, it, they called it self-defense, and he walked. And they never called Dutch Mantel or Tony Atlas to testify. Matter of fact, Dutch Mantel says in a documentary he got his subpoena like 10 days after the fucking trial. Yeah. Yep. So the, day the verdict came. That's when he got it. They got off scot-free, basically, with this. And nothing happened other than Brody died in Puerto Rico. And... That was it. And it's one of the most infamous killings or infamous acts in wrestling because there's, I mean, I don't think there's been many killings of this nature, but infamous acts in wrestling history and they got off with it. And I, I just, I mean, there's so yeah. many questions unanswered here that you just kind of like. Well, they, they, they had the whole country in the palm of their hands because they used Brody's image and his character against him. They didn't they didn't, you know, uh put the the person Bruce Brody like the person outside the ring in the trial. They they took the wrestling persona because they were really into wrestling and well everything was real. So they were like Yeah. Yeah they were like, well that's him. He's a crazy guy. So it's self defense. Imagine this guy coming at you. Wouldn't you stab him too? It was like some shit like that. So they 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 had all their shit together, and they had it fixed in a way. I mean, for a subpoena not to come until like a month after the trial, man, that that's that's a cover up. Yeah, it's definitely some strings were being pulled, but that absolutely. that whole thing was not. Go ahead. No, I was saying absolutely that was, some strings were definitely being pulled. Some uh some calls were made. It's it's a huge fucking cover up. Huge but cover. That 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 whole thing didn't go un, unnoticed. I mean, after that, the, the the territory of Puerto Rico was never the fucking same. Matter of fact, I I, I believe they never really got a it whole closed lot down. Of huh? Yeah, it closed down. Uh, Savio Vega said there's no more wrestling in Puerto Rico right now. Yeah, because of that particular yeah. that. In- did it that 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 was it you know so yeah i I mean i'm sure and and they kind of mentioned that i think tony atlas did and dutch mantel to a degree did too in the in the documentary they felt like by getting rid of brody they would get rid of the the problem and they would fucking be able to go back to for lack of better words business as usual they never were able to do that again It, it was never the fucking same no it it absolutely wasn't Mean, damn! There was just a whole shit storm of bullshit. They did this guy completely wrong. Like his family didn't even get fucking justice. The goddamn, uh, they had three stories that said Brody was not the aggressor, and that was from Tony Atlas, Dutch Mantel, and Savio Vega. He gave a statement too to the police. 
and right and that against them is just like well he didn't stand a chance he didn't stand a chance at all so it's and just I found it interesting up. at the end of at the end of the document they talked about how Jose Gonzalez is like doing birthday parties or some shit as still as the invader character and shit on Facebook. It's like the guy went on living a life. Nothing, there were never any repercussions or re- retaliation of any time. Nothing happened. Well, look at fucking Carlos Colon. He's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Shit. That's the crazy part. This motherfucker yeah. is put in the Hall of Fame. Well, I, 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 I think, and, and I think to a degree, Carlos Colon typically gets a pass because of the fact, okay, it could have been worse. He he kind of intervened and jumped in. But you don't really know, what, and you'll never know what side of the coin he really was sitting on. Again, a lot of this stuff, because Bruiser Brody isn't here to say otherwise is speculation. We don't know to what degree. It could have been Jose Gonzalez acting completely on his own. You know, that could have been the case. All we have is the accounts from Dutch Mantel, Tony Atlas, Savio Vega, which is a complete revelation to me today. And, you know, know, that's it. Nobody else. I don't believe that. I don't believe that because he, Carlos Colon did a a shoot interview that was from, uh, I want to say probably over 10 years ago, where Mm -hmm. they asked him about it. And he's being completely like, like he's still covering up for the shit. They were like, you don't feel like that was uh, that was weird that they uh, didn't give people the subpoenas until after the trial was already done. And he was like, oh, I don't know. I, I don't question the law. You know, I have faith in the law. He was just saying some real just strange shit that a cover, a motherfucker was covering up. Now, I won't lie. If he wanted to clear himself, he should have participated in the documentary. I think right. people would have looked at him a little different. He didn't want no parts of it. Like, I mean, at this stage, what do you have to lose? The territory died the day y'all killed Brody, you know, for the most part. I mean, yeah, it lasted a little bit longer, but it was never the same. It never was the same. And I, I, you could have told your story or your version of events and said, hey, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. But it, it's like still one of the best kept secrets in wrestling. And it's one of the most despicable fucking acts. Absolutely. In like, it, it, it's, I, I think it's it's probably I, I can't think of anything that's more heinous than this shit here, you know, or whatnot. And for that, well, right, wrong, or indifferent, you know, I, I, to stab a guy in the shower is just fucking yeah, especially of that caliber, it, 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 you just don't know what to say. And it's 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 so. I think the thing that really sticks out to me is so surreal to watch that and be like fuck wait this was wrestling because wrestling today you wouldn't hear any dude you don't really hear about anybody having fist fights let's know disagreements that result in a stabbing or something of that nature you you know but for something like this it's kind of like a slap you in the face moment like wow like wrestling was we just talked about it earlier there was an element of realism it was so real and so you know personal that you killed the guy yeah yeah 
over a long standing beef <laughs> over a problem you had with the guy that he didn't even know you, you still was pissed off about. That shit happened right. years before the stabbing. Right. More than enough yep. time for you to get over it. But you didn't. That's the weirdest shit. And the business was different back then. I mean, you you talk about even going back to the incident where he beat the shit out of him. He felt like he had to do what he had to do to protect himself as far as his image, because your image was what what made you, you know, and right. you it, it was doing a job for a guy or whatnot, depending on who he was and what the fuck. It was different then. Now you wouldn't hear about this shit because everything's so scripted. But when you got guys calling matches in the ring and trying to, you know, it wasn't, it, it was a totally different time period. So, I, I, I mean, they, you know, and they talked about that. Bruiser Brody was worried about Bruiser Brody first, you know, right. and, 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 his, and that's how guys were back then. You yeah. know, everybody wasn't a Ric Flair who went in and he was going to try to get you over while getting himself over. You know, it, it was different for certain guys. So, Again, to, to, to see something to this magnitude in this day and age, like, can you imagine if I'm just picking a name out of a hat? If Brock Lesnar was stabbed by a fucking uh, John Moxley or whatever the fuck, like, that would be just, it, it would be, we wouldn't know what to do. Like, it, it, it'd be like, what the fuck? Like, right. really? You know, you, I, I mean, so yeah, I, but overall, I, I mean, I, that was pretty much the documentary, and I enjoyed it. I, and, I I never to it's certain stories you never get tired of hearing in wrestling history. Uh, the Montreal screw job is one of them. This story is one of them. I mean, when yeah. you start talking about the of Bruiser Brody, like I kind of sit down and I listen. You know, I don't I don't care how many times I I, I get to hear it. You. Sit down, you know, and and this was just. I thought they did a great job of detailing what the fuck happened and what was going on and all the, you know, you got a. It's kind of like you got a first hand eyewitness account of everything that transpired during that little time period and what the fuck happened. And it would have been so much better if they could have got the, they could have got Jose, uh, Carlos Colon or I know Jose Gonzalez ain't gonna say shit ever right probably needs to be putting a fucking wood chipper but i mean even still like it would have been nice to get something out of it you know other than the perspectives we got but yeah i, I totally great episode thoroughly enjoyed it i thought it was cool how they paid tribute to him in new japan or whatnot after his death that was awesome um i i i, I, I like this one i really did i i loved it yeah, I, I liked it too. They really did a great job of of uh, capturing, you know, who he was outside of the ring. Also, that's not a side you hear about too much. Then the, they went into him as a character, how serious he how serious he took himself, how much he really loved this business and stuff like that. I just liked how they shined a different light because usually before this documentary, all I heard was. You know, Bruiser Brody, the wrestler, got stabbed. You know, he was a big deal. He got stabbed. I didn't know the in-depth story of it. And right. This, this, this shed a good light on it, and it just made me more pissed off for the fact. I mean, this dude stabbed the guy in front of the whole locker room, then left 
had time to get rid of the weapon, threw it in the water or something, came back, act like nothing happened, and and he got off scot free. All those witnesses, and he got off. Yeah. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. It's it's crazy. But um, again, folks, uh, if you are interested in watching the killing of Bruiser Brody, it is on the Viceland series, The Dark Side of the Ring. Um, we were able to find it on YouTube, and I highly recommend you watch all the episodes from this first season. But um, if you want to kind of get a better picture of a more detailed version of what we recounted on this episode that's a great way to uh, do it i mean obviously we gave you a condensed version but still to to just get the whole story and see things like we saw them and everything else viceland series uh viceland dark side of the ring series sorry uh killing the bruiser brody is what it's called yeah um i i've enjoyed I enjoyed the whole entire season. Again, there will be a season two. Um, overall, I, 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 I loved it. Like I said, I can't say that enough. I've seen it three times. Um, now you gave me the Savio Vega thing to look into. and yeah, It's like that. an 18-minute interview with Jim Cornette, and he, he breaks down everything. But, um, um, folks, uh, if you have enjoyed this episode or you have some insight or just want to talk to us in general, feel free to reach out to us, uh, like and subscribe uh, on YouTube. We're also on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Breaker, pretty much all your major streaming platforms. And uh, feel free to comment, like, subscribe, leave reviews. Um, if there's something we missed, let us know. Again, this is a time period where we weren't born yet, so we're kind of just going off of what we saw and, and what we've heard over time because, again, it's one of the more famous, heinous stories in wrestling history. Um, and if you also want to re reach out to us on social media, reach out to us on Twitter at damn, pod at, uh, damn underscore podcast, sorry, and on uh, Instagram, which most people don't really use, according to Keithan, at uh, bestdamnwp is yeah, that's right. Why, why, why the fuck don't I remember the Instagram account? It's okay. It's not worth remembering. Oh God. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> to us on there. Uh, <laughs> Our next episode of Dark Side of the Ring would be. Have we decided, or we're gonna see how we feel? I agree to do um, uh, fabulous move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so many great stories. I mean, you got Moolah. You got uh, you still got the Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth that's still on we there. We do still have that one. You know, you got and the Von Erics are on there. The Von Erics, that's a popular story. You know, that's that's a legacy that's still continuing today. For those people yep. who, who want to see the new generation of the Von Erics, the new generation of the Heart Foundation, check out uh, MLW Wrestling. Jim Cornette's involved with it too. They got actually they actually got some pretty good stuff going on there. A lot of lineage, a lot of royal wrestling blood is in that company. The uh, son is in there too, isn't he? Yeah, he's he's with the new uh Hart Foundation. Uh we got another Dave, uh Dave yeah, Hart Smith. Boy Smith. We got Teddy Hart. You know, two of the Von Eric kids are there. Uh Ray Mysterio cousins is uh there. It's it's like like it's it's real good. Of course, MJF is there. You get Ooh, to see him. Hey, 
turn into a legitimate star. They need to because he is a star in MLW. Yeah, like he he's a star. But uh, uh, folks, uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode as much as we've enjoyed bringing it to you. Again, we'll be continuing our uh, Dark Side of the Ring review series on uh, next episode with the uh, fabulous Moolah story. And we'll be covering that in detail and going over it. And uh, again, the Bret Hart episode or the Montreal Screwjob episode seemed to be a success. We hope that you guys enjoyed this one just as much as, as you enjoyed the last one. And feel free to leave feedback. And without further ado, this is all the time we have. And until next time, this has been the Best Damn Wrestling Podcast. And we look forward to bringing you another episode soon.